Hi, I'm April. And I'm Sam. And welcome to Current Climate. Join us each week as we learn more about what we can do to help the natural world with small changes and big actions. Hi guys, welcome to episode seven of Current Climate. We are going to start things off by talking about our challenge from this past week, which was to shorten our shower lengths to conserve water. So April, how'd it go? So there was a lot of non-shower time that I was definitely able to cut out. Oh, cool. Um, Well, you know, so I did that at the beginning of the challenge. (laughs) So um, typically when I go to shower, I turn on the water and I just hang out on the sink <laughs> on my phone and I'm just letting it go I just like it I like how hot it gets in the room I'm just hanging out um and so I cut all of that time out in the beginning because I was like that doesn't count for this challenge um and so my first shower which I did like the, the elaborate shower to get a baseline so mm-hmm. all the hair stuff, all the skin stuff, you know, all of it. Um, and it was about 15 minutes. Okay. Which I was like, mm, I can do better. If I cut down a minute every day, like I'd still be at like an eight minute shower. And it took me a second to do uh, that math. <laughs> <laughs> and what I really wanted to do was I wanted to work my way to a four minute navy shower that's what you called it right yeah so I started right off with like an 11 minute shower for my second night which was totally doable um yeah it was just a matter of like not enjoying the shower in any way (laughs) Um, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. you're not spacing out you're not like you know having arguments with yourself in the shower mm-hmm. imagining conversations that you had the day yes. before and how you could have done better yeah yes or ones you're going to have the next day and saying every possible option mm-hmm. that could happen out loud like I, verbally saying it out loud mm-hmm. no it's just none of the crazy stuff yeah so 11 minutes was totally doable five and six minutes like not trying to do the navy shower thing where you turn off the water and turn it like back mm-hmm. on for like a four minute thing. Um, that was tricky. Those were like probably not my deepest condition days. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely not detangling anything in the shower. Just, just pretty much in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really impressed that you said you got it down to like five minutes. Well, I forced myself to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, everything's like, I put a timer on in the bathroom. So I knew it was going to go off at five minutes. So like you just get in the shower and I just got down to business. I was just like, (laughs) I got to wash, you know, I got to like condition. Uh, Is this a face wash day or no? Like, what do I have to do in Mm -hmm. these five minutes? Um, yeah, and then my last thing was I wanted to get to that, like, Navy shower, which, so that was two parts. It was a short shower, mm-hmm. like, four minutes in the article, and then it was also turning the water off, 
when you weren't like rinsing, which is hard because you know, like, yeah, I think we mentioned even when you're like shaving, you have your leg on the ledge, so it's out of the water, but the water's still like going full gallon behind you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I saved like a day where I, I like wasn't really gonna wash my face or anything for this navy shower. Um, and I'm at an advantage because my water handle is on backwards. So you, <laughs> you turn on the water and it starts off hot. And then if oh. you move it to the other side, it gets like colder. Oh, Whereas okay. I feel like most, like when you turn on a shower, it starts on the cold side and you move yeah. it to the other side to get hot. So, yeah, for sure. You know, didn't waste any time turning handles, warming up the shower. It was right there <laughs> already. Uh, hot water is ready to go. So definitely an advantage there. But that was hard, you know? And I got soap in my eyes. And, like, when the shower, like, <laughs> when you're shampooing, it's so easy to get, like, and, like, the water's running. It's so easy to get the soap right. off, off your face. Um, But this, like... Oh, I got soap in my eye. You go and you touch your eye and you, oh, I got more soap in my eye. Cause <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's just what we're doing now. Um, so I was able to get a short shower if I didn't include all my things. Summary though, <laughs> Navy shower would not recommend unless you <laughs> enjoy soap in your eyes. How did, how did it go for you? Anything tricky? So... I had like a rough-ish week and I find showering relaxing and enjoyable and it's like self-care. And we've talked about this before on the podcast that self-care comes first. So yes. full disclosure, I did stop recording my showers later in the week um, because I was just like, oh, that's going to stress me out, like thinking about how long I'm taking. But I was also pleasantly surprised by the times I had earlier in the week. So I generally felt like I'm still taking shorter showers and like I'm getting used to it. I just wasn't keeping diligent track of it. So disclosure there. Um, anyway, anyway, so my first shower where I like, it was just a regular shower. I wasn't trying to make it shorter. It was just under seven minutes. Wow. You're really not arguing with anybody in there. Yeah. You're really not practicing for a big conversation <laughs> or something. I definitely used to. Like when I was a teenager, I think I took like 15 to 20 minute showers. Um, most of the time and my mom would like be banging on the door like you're taking too long all the hot water is gonna you know yeah I I don't know at some point like I knew that was maybe longer than it needed to be but then I think like at some point I just did start taking I think it's also like when I started living with my husband then boyfriend he takes really short showers and he would be able to get ready so fast which means staying in bed longer I observed this and I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe I should do that. So at some point, it just started to get shorter. I do still take longer showers than him though. So like, can we talk about that? Like I take a seven minute shower without trying and he's still way faster. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, maybe he's just pretending. Pretending to shower? Yeah. He's just sitting in there on the sink, letting the water run. And then, well, that's even more know, wasteful than he watches a YouTube video <laughs> and then he turns the water off and leaves. He's never actually taken a shower. Ew. 
Anyway, I did observe, though, that, like, a good, like, 50 seconds of that time was me waiting for the water to warm up. So I was like, you know, lately I've been taking cool showers anyway because it's summer and it's sticky. So I challenged myself to just kind of get in the water right away um, the next time I took a shower. And I got it down to five minutes and 45 seconds. Holy cow. Yeah. But I also was like rushing during that shower as well. Like it was doable, comfortable, but like slightly stressful. So I think that like six minutes is probably my sweet spot. Like six, six, 15. That's probably something I can do to like because then, yeah, it was, like, very easy to just not let the water run. So I'm like, okay, if I, at the very least, I'm cutting, like, a minute off of the water going down the drain, which is going to save gallons of water each shower. So I'm like, you know what? I'm good with that. And then last week, we also talked about how, like, there's different kinds of showers. So my um, just a quick rinse shower was, like, three minutes without me trying to make it shorter. you're very good at this <laughs> and you know who i also think is probably very good at this those psychopaths who stand in the shower and then turn it on like they do in movies and stuff oh like the gosh. person's already standing in the shower and they turn it on and it's like who is that comfortable for okay yeah when it i would cut t- off like a minute the whole warm up the water thing it's but true who- but even so even Who's when i was that? like not letting the water run out like warm up I would like ease myself into that cold water you know what I mean like (laughs) I don't need a heart attack jumping in the cold shower but but it was doable I think in winter my showers might have to be a little bit longer yeah just finding that sweet spot like what do you think when you cut it down to like 11 minutes did that seem doable for you yeah so I would say that that was like a starting point for a shower where I didn't have as much stuff to do. I didn't have like a longer routine mm-hmm. um, and I didn't really think too much about the time. So 11 was like easy enough. Um, okay. I would say like eight. So I got to, I like stopped myself at eight, uh, however many days into the challenge. And that was kind of like the perfect one where I felt I felt relaxed from the shower and clean, so it was, like, good enough. Nice. Everything else got a little quick. Right. That's See, that was my hope. I was, like, maybe if I, like, just rush a little at the beginning of the week, by the end of the week, I'll just be faster. And I think that did happen. Like, I think I cut off a minute just doing that. Um, Just thinking about the time is, like, I mean, it's a huge motivator. Mm-hmm. Um, cause before this, I wasn't thinking about it at all. Right. And then learning, so now knowing, yeah. yeah, learning how many gallons go down the drain in an eight minute shower, which if Yikes. you didn't listen last week, it's 30 gallons for an eight minute shower. Yeah. It's just something to keep in mind. And if you, if we all can decrease the length of our showers, even just a little bit, it's like that will have, that will make a difference, even though it feels so silly. It does make a big difference. I agree. Good challenge. All right. So first up this week, we're going to talk about some lit litigation that's happening. Um, It's kind of like already been decided, but I guess you can also decide if you think it's on fleek or weak. 
Um, mm. Also, if you think that saying in general is on fleek or weak, let us know. Because I, I'm just going to keep saying it if nobody tells me not to. <laughs> Basically, this was a really rough week to be in the oil business. Good. Um, yeah, good, right? Um, well, this affected Canada a little bit, which I do like Canada. But no, yeah, if it's bad for oil, it's good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were two kind of big things that happened. The first one was the U.S. Supreme Court refused to let uh, the Keystone XL pipeline start construction. Um, Yeah. And (laughs) so this is one of those things where it's coming down from Canada into the United States um, or it's going up from the it's going through the United States into Canada. I guess it's going upward. Okay. Um, and Obama had blocked this by not giving it, like, a cross-border permit. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, and so overturning that denial was one of Trump's first things. Um, so he, the, his whole administration was very pro-oil pipeline, um, and he supposedly stacked the Supreme Court to be in his favor – but that hasn't been working out too well on a lot of things. Um, I know. I know. So basically, the Keystone XL pipeline, um, construction is delayed until at least 2021. Okay. Um, and this is because a federal judge re- is requiring these projects all over the country to find, uh, instead of doing like a large batch permit, they have to do these more time-consuming individual permits. Um, and so basically the Keystone Group, TC Energy Corp, they appealed that decision. Um, they don't want to do these time-consuming permits. They appealed that to the Supreme Court. The Trump administration was like, Supreme Court, you know what to do. Um, and the Supreme Court was like, new number, who's this? <laughs> because they they uh, upheld it. And nice. so the yeah um so what this pipeline would have done was it would have carried over eight hundred thousand barrels of crude oil a day um yeah oh i guess it was it's from alberta canada to nebraska um so it was going to be kind of a big deal uh and it would go to u.s gulf coast refineries after that um and so Alberta, Canada had put $5 billion into this already. So I'm kind of like, oh, I'm so sorry, Alberta. But <laughs> <laughs> also the more like, the more setbacks, the more obstacles for this pipeline, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, now if they want to do the, the pipeline, which I'm sure they still do, there's billion dollars invested in it. Um, they just have to go through the individual permitting process, which will involve um, more environmental studies, more money, um, and could be shut down at a bunch of different points. They were doing something where, like, TC Energy and or other energy companies could get permits for all their projects kind of at once. Okay. Um, which... The Supreme Court is has upheld for like multiple uh, 
multiple corporations and like multiple projects, but for some reason, which isn't really explained in the opinion, they decided that TC Energy Corp has to apply for individual an individual permit for this project. So it's not really explained why <laughs> they're different. I'm sure uh, the opinion will be elaborated on in the future, but yeah, it's just another hurdle that they're going to have to go through. Um, and it's not something that the current like presidential administration can overturn at the moment. Oh, okay. so might be able to find a way around it through an executive order, but um, you know, what's decided by the Supreme Court is pretty much going to be upheld if, mm-hmm. if the opinion that they put out um, is reasonable and not, like, arbitrary. Okay. But so that's just, like, the first of this oil news. Because there's also the Dakota Access Pipeline, mm-hmm. which we've been hearing about for years. Um, like, I remember when the protests for it first started – so the oh, yeah. Dakota Access Pipeline um, runs across four states, uh, from North Dakota to Illinois, um, and it happens to be the Standing Rock Sioux like tribal area. Mm-hmm. Um, so since it was being constructed, since it was uh, proposed, since it was turned on, there have been people protesting this pipeline. Um, with large fears being that it's going to leak into the water on the tribal lands or contaminate ancient sites uh, like burial grounds. Mm -hmm. Um, So there have been protests forever. And honestly, they didn't particularly work. And unfortunately, I feel like we see that so often where people come out in full you know, on these environmental justice issues, but unless you have, like, a legal precedent, you're not going to be able to get anything done. hmm But they found their legal precedent, you know what I mean? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline has been ordered to suspend production um, over concerns over its environmental impact. So I believe it's been running for three years anyway that it's mm-hmm. been transporting crude oil. Um, so it's been up and running. It's a weird time to kind of make it stop. But it's a almost $4 billion project, 1,200-mile pipeline, um, transports almost 600,000 barrels of crude oil a day, <laughs> like highly contested or protested. Um, And this kind of brings up NEPA, which you talked about the other week, because Mm -hmm. that's exactly the legal precedent, the loophole, the the point of contention that they found to turn this pipeline off. Nice. Yeah. So a federal judge uh, in D.C. said that the construction of the pipeline had fallen short of environmental standards and had to undergo a more thorough environmental review than had been conducted by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So NEPA requires these environmental assessments. Theirs wasn't thorough enough. Um, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is responsible for making sure, especially that water's not polluted. Mm-hmm. 
um, anything that could pollute a navigable water of the United States. Um, it has to have a special permit. It has to be addressed. Um, so now they shut off this pipeline and it's going to take probably 13 months for them to actually complete a thorough environmental review. And from there, I mean, who knows? Depending on what they mm -hmm. find, it could shut the project down entirely or it could take another year to fix it, address it, remediate. Um, so it really is a big win. Um, the court ruled uh, that there had not been adequate consideration of the impacts of an oil spill on fishing rights, hunting rights, or environmental justice. So it's a really big win for the Standing Rock Sioux, um, who have been protesting it and saying this forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's rough day for oil. Um, good. <laughs> I know. Good. Good. They've had so many, so many good days for oil. Right. Too right. many. <laughs> Too many great days for oil. It's cool to at least see this national enforcement of environmental regulations um, in a time where those things are kind of uncertain and they're being threatened every step of the way. Environmental justice, environmental regulations, um, environmental permitting. It's, it's great to see two solid wins to solid obstacles in the way of these pipelines. A few weeks ago, I was actually looking um, for a bait gate um, article and I came across one. Um, I ended up not picking it, but it was about a pipeline leaking oil in Canada and it was onto an indigenous group's land. And they were saying like, this is the fourth time this has happened. Like what's going on. And so you know, I really hope that that environmental review shows that it's not a matter of if, but when a big leak could mm -hmm. happen and they decide that the risk isn't worth it. Like that would make me feel so much better. I just, I hope that they're able to shut this down or, you know, corners won't be cut. Like I'm sure they found the easiest way to make a pipeline. Right. Right. And right. maybe there is a way to make a pipeline that won't impact the environment from spills. It will impact the environment because we're still using oil, but you know, like maybe there's a middle ground somewhere. So, right. And so I think that's an important part of it where it's like, um, if, if we continue to use oil pipelines, they will be able to say that they are supporting environmental justice because they're paying the communities that runs through whether or not that's actually like fair compensation. Um, they're providing energy to places that maybe couldn't have it before. I don't know the demographics of like Alberta, Canada, but maybe mm -hmm. it's great to get oil out to that population. But the real issue is we should be switching to alternative energies. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that there's justice in that transition. Um, equal access to energy now and when it's a better more advanced cleaner energy well said thank you so that's my my litigation highlights uh if it's on fleek or weak let us know
yeah, you can tweet at us, currentclimate underscore on Twitter. Next up this week, we have a grab bag reaching into the bag of environmental topics and pulling out a tidbit. And my topic today is cars, which is vague. <laughs> yes, I wanna... the Pixar movie. I don't think it did very well, but they still made three <laughs> more of them. Yeah, why don't we have a Ratatouille 2, but we have two extra cars? Like, what? <laughs> I want to take you on the journey of research that I went on um, because I think it's kind of interesting. Because I, at first, I was looking to do a policy pizza, you know, find some policy, break it down. And I came across a tweet, and I can't find the tweet anymore. I came across this tweet that was talking about the Senate in California passing something and it sounded good for the environment. So I was like, oh, let me look that up because now it needs to go through the house. That led me to discovering about the Senate Bill 288 in California. This bill is creating exemptions for qualifying transportation projects to a policy called CEQA. CEQA stands for California Environmental Quality Act. And it's very similar to NEPA, which we were just talking about. Um, it requires extensive environmental review for infrastructure projects that could impact the environment. So what they are proposing is that for specifically for projects that would lead to a more sustainable transportation system, we don't need to take as much time or take any time at all to do the environmental review. So I'm just gonna quote this from the counties.org site, which is summing up a few different bills that have been going through California's Senate and House. Um, it says, the bill creates a new exemption for the following types of transportation projects. Mass transit projects on existing rail or highway rights of way, passenger or commuter service on high occupancy vehicle or existing roadway shoulders, rail, light rail, and bus maintenance repair, storage, administrative, and operation facilities. This is saying that if you are going to be improving public transportation so that, you know, fewer cars need to be on the street, if you are creating bike lanes that will allow for people to bike without being worried about their safety, um, if you're doing any of that, which will help the environment and it will also help people, you do not need to do an extensive review found an article from an organization um, called SPUR, which supports this, and they were talking about the unhealthy and ironic consequence of environmental review. So one of the things in the environmental review that they look for is how a project might impact traffic. Like, oh, if they're going to be building this bridge, is it going to make a lot of traffic? Is it going to um, derail transportation? Is it going to become dangerous and um, lead to more pollution, et cetera. So that's fair. Like you need to know these things before you decide to take on a project. But the issue is if you are doing a project out in the suburbs and you're creating roads for cars, it's not gonna impact traffic. But the creation of your suburban project is going to lead to more traffic being there one day and therefore it ultimately isn't helpful to the environment so they're saying you're, these they're looking at the wrong numbers they're not analyzing this properly and so it often can prevent things like creating bike line bike lanes or bus lanes or things like that that would really help 
the environment and the population of the area. Those things get derailed because, oh, that'll cause a lot of traffic while they're doing it, but ultimately it will help with traffic in the long run. So from there, <laughs> um, I was very interested in this. And part of, I looked up like, you know, what, what led to this realization? You know, because I wouldn't think it necessarily like, oh, let's skip environmental review. But right, we're into environmental we're reviews so far. So they far. just stopped a pipeline. Exactly. And so because the things that are exempt are often in areas that already have been constructed, like it says, um, passenger or commuter service on high occupancy vehicle or existing roadway shoulders, you know, not creating something new, but doing it on an existing shoulder. Things like this, if they skip the review, it'll lead to better environmental impacts sooner because people will be able to use it sooner and it, couldn't, it wouldn't be derailed by like weird numbers they're finding during the review. So a few weeks ago, we talked about Ted Cruz and some of his buddies and how they'd like to stop environmental review because we need to get Americans back to work. And the truth is this bill is exactly that because of covid because of the economic crisis they're trying to get americans back to work but being very specific about the projects instead of choosing projects that would ultimately hurt americans because it'll impact their health due to the environment you know being damaged and in climate change getting more severe instead it's projects that would prevent climate change from getting worse and help the environment so it has the same goal, but the end goal is very different. It's not a profit thing. It is definitely a people thing, which is really yeah. cool. So then this reminded me of something I saw on Twitter. Clearly Twitter is a big part of this. I saw a video which compared a street in Paris in 2012 to the same street in Paris in 2020. Why is this relevant? Well, there was this big transportation strike um, in Paris in January, and the, the city decided to subsidize purchases of electric bicycles to help people out because they couldn't take the regular transportation they were used to. So now in 2020, a lot of people are biking. Also, the um, mayor of Paris, um, this was a big platform of hers, is to help work on traffic in Paris. In the last decade, Paris's traffic has fallen 40%. So she easily won re-election and people are really thrilled with that policy. So I'll retweet this video, but it shows in 2012, a congested street, pedestrians waiting to cross the street, you know, typical of a city. You see that in New York, you see, you see that any, anywhere. And then in 2020, there's so many people biking by no problem and there's like two cars in the street it's very cool to see so then <laughs> thinking about this, going. <laughs> right I had a I had a time um so then I was reflecting on this and I was like oh so like this is the goal for California this is what they want for their cities they want people to easily commute on bikes I love that Paris gave that subsidy it was up to 500 euros to help buy an electric bicycle right and people are using it you know and it made me think of this episode of adam ruins everything um it's a documentary style tv show 
he did an episode on cars. And one of the things he points out about cars, because cars are so American, right? It's like the open road, amber waves of grain, purple mountains and whatever. You're Love on, them. Yeah, you're in a car and you're driving fast. But the reality is for car owners in cities, they are not driving fast. They are stuck in gridlock. And so much of the city space is devoted to cars. Parking spaces, streets, parking garages. And there's very little room for pedestrians or bikers. So in the show, Adam, he points out that before the car was invented, people were just walking around. No issue. <laughs> it's not getting run over, you know? You make it sound like they're just walking around like Sims characters when they don't have a task <laughs> to do. In some and cases, I'm sure. Meaningless. Yeah. Some people, I'm sure it was, you know? They're just like, oh, I'm going to go for a walk. But then um, when cars became more popular, the automotive industry really pushed to make spaces for cars because the so many people were getting hit by these fast cars and they weren't used to it. They were used to being able to wind, mindlessly wander the streets, you know? <laughs> and so instead they, they put traffic laws in place and crosswalks and you know, this spot, this is for cars. Now you can't go here. And I was like, well, I never would have thought of it like that, you know, but peop, some cities wanted to ban the automobile because it was such a hazard and such a like oh. noisy smelly thing that was like ruining their streets uh, one thing that's interesting it's kind of like a thought experiment that i found in a new york times opinion article is imagining getting 50 people from point a to point b how much space would that take if you put them all on a bus that would take nine square feet per person if you put them on 50 bicycles that would require 15 square feet per person. But if you put them in 50 cars, that's 55 <laughs> square feet, feet per person. And then those cars need to go somewhere when they're done driving, you know? Yeah, so they're taking up space the entire day, whether they're running, whether they're sitting, they're just always taking up that space. So public transportation, I got some beefs with it, though, okay. to be honest. I think, so it's a cultural thing, right? I think if everybody was using it, I would like it a lot more mm-hmm. instead of, so I've, I've gotten bed bugs twice in my life. Um, and when I called my landlord the first time, there's a point to this story. I was really trying to avoid having to pay for anything because, you know, I didn't invite them in. And so I was, I gave this whole life routine. I was like, I have no idea where they came from. Uh, You know, my place is very neat, even though I know that doesn't matter for bed bugs, but I gave this whole routine and she was like, oh, you could get them anywhere. You could get them at Walmart. You could get them, you know, while you're grocery shopping, you could get them on on the bus, you could get them at the movie theater. And honestly, I never went to a movie in that city again. Um, I never got, I have not been on a bus since then. Mm-hmm. And so now I just like associate this like dirty griminess with buses. But I know whenever I've taken a 
bus or train in another country, it's been overall a pretty pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm afraid of bed bugs. Uh, fair, fair concern. <laughs> Those are not fun to have. I don't know if it is a fair concern, though. They must be doing something about bed bugs or bugs in general on public transportations, but it's going to be an irrational fear I have for a while, I think. <laughs> Not that I don't support the movement and the goal. So because of coronavirus and because streets got quieter while everyone was in lockdown and people saw how lovely it was to not be stuck in traffic, they're predicting a little bit of a shift in most major cities, at least at this time, of like, you know, not wanting as many cars out and about because it just is more pleasant when there's not a bunch of traffic all the time always <laughs> and um i feel like the step after that is finding a way to connect suburban areas to the city centers where people work with public transportation like our state has some stuff but it still ultimately relies on you driving to the pickup spot for those buses yeah so you should look up it's called transit oriented development Mm. so people a lot of times build like the suburbs so people can leave the city and go to the suburbs because it's better when Mm. really the focus should be on improving things in the city improving means improving means to get into the city and making like cities more viable and more enjoyable so they can stay around but everybody's so concerned with moving out to the suburbs. And then with that move comes the car, comes maybe two cars, comes a larger carbon footprint in general. Mm -hmm. So transit-oriented development and design is like, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's let's put bus routes out to these areas. Let's make it easy for people in the suburbs to maybe not have their car or to use it less for their daily thing into the city. And let's make it easier for people who are in the city to get all their stuff done without having to have a car and taking up that storage space for the car. Right. Um, And this same New York Times opinion article, it was saying how, like, there's such a small percentage of New York City people who actually own a car So more than half of the city's households do not own a car. And of those that do, most do not use them for commuting. And then for the 1.6 million commuters who come to Manhattan every weekday, more than 80% make the trip via public transit, trains and buses. Only 12% get to the island by car. So that's what that says. So it's like the whole city is on hold, you know, making the space for cars. And more than half of the people who live there don't even use them. That's really interesting. Yeah. So just some food for thought. I don't really have a conclusion to this whole <laughs> thing, but I, I find that bill that passed the Senate in California really interesting because it is so turned on its head from what we normally think. And it makes me consider how cars and our reliance on cars impacts the environment so much, but also our own like sanity and day-to-day lives. like there might be a way for us to enjoy life a little more if we just sat in less traffic. 
and didn't I die in automobile. <laughs> and, and I wasn't even thinking of this, didn't die in automobile, automobile accidents as much. That's also a major concern for That's a good point. public yeah. safety. Bus drivers have to pass much more rigorous courses than a near standard driver that you're next to on the highway. So I fully support that. All right, April. This time I'm going to ask you, what's our challenge for the week? All right. So I set the challenge this week because it's going to be a more convenient week for me to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, we're going to try and go vegetarian this week. Yes. So the thought of this and going back to the cow propaganda piece we had uh, a couple weeks ago, raising animals is not good for the environment. Um, It takes a lot of food. It takes a lot of water. It takes a lot of space. um, And it leads to emissions from carcasses and landfills. Uh, It's just like, overall, it's generally viewed as not a great thing for the environment. Mm -hmm. So, a week of vegetarian I can't commit to vegan eating um but a week of vegetarian meals I think is worth a shot yeah I'm super excited about this because at the very least I'll walk away from this week with more vegetarian recipes to have in my repertoire you know like to cycle through right that'll be cool um and I like this too because So I was a vegetarian for about a year in college. In college, you know, uh, a lot of those PETA videos were just like really gut-wrenching. And there was a documentary about pigs and slaughterhouses that really just like stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And my brother was listening to a bunch of uh, animal rights, like metal bands I don't even know what you would call it. You couldn't understand what they were saying, but it was about like chicks being like snatched. Um, So all this stuff kind of came together. And so for a year in college, I was vegetarian. Super easy because there's always a well-balanced vegetarian option in the cafeteria where I went to school. Oh, nice. I didn't go to to school in a cafeteria, the cafeteria (laughs) at the school that I went to. Um, (laughs) They're like renowned for their food, so it was easy. Um, and then I studied abroad in Switzerland, and I wanted to live life kind of to the fullest. And the meat industry in Switzerland, like they can't have these factory farms that we have in the U.S. And so everything's more expensive over there. But like you know raising and slaughtering of the animals was done in a humane way. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I was over there, I started eating meat again. And then it was, it was hard to get back, you know, and I never really did into the vegetarian mode when I came back home. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited to kind of try that again. Um, Chipotle is vegetarian. It can be. So you know, that might be be what it be. As good as animal protein is for you, the amount that Americans eat is just over the top. 
it's out of whack. Mm-hmm. We don't need it all. We can do with smaller portions. And like, I would rather pay more for meat that's well raised, you know, sustainably raised, happy cows, happy pigs, happy chickens, living their best lives until they're not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is so abrupt. I, love it. <laughs> I think I think if more people tried the vegetarian route we would actually be able to make change in the meat industry and then be able to feel comfortable eating meat again. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my whole thought process for this one. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, it should be easy for you, right? I think it will be. I already try to eat a good mixture of vegan and not vegan meals. Um, Oh, vegan. Right. So, like, eggs, too? Yeah. Like, like no? That's, yeah. <laughs> um, Whew, okay. Well, I'm not going to be doing that this week because I love cheese. <laughs> yes. Um, but I I like when I'm eating something vegan and it's just vegan because it just happens to be. Like, I'm not into – because I eat meat, I'm not, like, out getting, like, tofurkey. You know what I mean? Like, I'm eating mm-hmm. things that just – easily are vegan um and are delicious or what have you and um yeah I I've been enjoying that I got a cookbook highly recommend it's called vegan buddha bowls it's by Kara Curran Cefeli and I've been kind of working my way through that um it's really delicious and most of the recipes are pretty simple it's been cool to kind of experiment with that um like you I had some years <laughs> where I wasn't eating certain kinds of meat I was never a vegetarian but I was a pescatarian which then I eat seafood that's just fish okay so like seafood and otherwise vegetarian um I did that for like four or five years um from ages like 10 to 15 I want to say and then from like 15 to 18 I was a quote-unquote semi-vegetarian I didn't eat four-legged animals (laughs) I didn't eat pigs or cows but I was I added poultry to my diet um I kind of have what like, a weird, arbitrary distinction. How many <laughs> legs it walks on? That wasn't that wasn't necessarily why. Um, I before I was a pescatarian, <laughs> I loved like a chicken dinner, like drumstick, mashed potatoes, green beans, gravy, like that sort of thing. Yeah, I I miss chicken dinner, and I think I must have like had it one day, and I was like, you know what? I'm adding this not to worth it right I'm adding this <laughs> to my diet <laughs> um good think, I forget why it stopped I think I might have eaten a burger and I was just like man a beef burger is just so good <laughs> just life-changing a yeah good burger and it, I think I was in college too and I was you know I wasn't like cooking for myself but like I was at school so it wasn't like my mom was cooking for me you know so I think there's there are probably a few different factors but um also in college though, I studied sustainable agriculture for like my big, my first big like composition two research paper. And just realizing like how detrimental, especially like beef eating is to the environment. I was like, okay, I, even though I am eating red meat now, like I am eating the four legged animals. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want it to be like too, too frequently. And I've kind of kept that up ever since. And luckily my husband, he likes, he loves turkey burgers. He loves turkey bacon turkey meatballs he's good with all of that so 
for the most part, we don't eat four-legged animals, <laughs> even though it's not like a rule or a policy, it just kind of happens. But yeah, we also eat a lot of chicken. So <laughs> I think it'll be good for us. I asked him to do this with me. I think it'll be good for us this week to cut back on the chicken and kind of think of what other recipes we can have. Because like I said, though we eat vegan meals pretty regularly, it's like five out of seven days of the week we're eating like chicken <laughs> or ground turkey. So yeah, not having to rely on that too much um, would be really cool because they don't have good lives either. And like the environmental impact of even poultry is not good. So yeah. yeah. And like I, I eat a lot of chicken too um, because it's just so ingrained that like lean chicken breast is the healthiest way to get your protein. It's high in protein, it's low in calories and fat, lean chicken breast, broccoli, like that's the whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we put sauces on it or marinades or whatever, but we eat some chicken over here. So I think that's definitely, definitely going to be a challenge. Yeah. And then disclaimer, if anyone would like to participate and try um, some more vegetarian meals this week, you know, I don't think anyone needs to go full on like April and I, we go hardcore. That's what we do. But um, <laughs> we try. <laughs> but and then I just cheat. But anyway. Yeah. But, but the point is that, you know, like the popularization of meatless Mondays was like a lot of environmental pressure was behind that, you know, that term and that idea. Because even cutting meat out of your diet one day a week has a very big impact on the environment. However, as I've discussed on here before, I used to really struggle with disordered eating, and I know that I cannot cut out some food groups entirely, which is why I never will go vegetarian or vegan full time. But right. so, like, just keep that in mind. Like, if there's a food that you love and count on, self care is more important. You shouldn't be self-care restricting yourself. Self care comes first. Yes, and ultimately, I think we can. You know, the long term goal is to have better practices for the meat industry, you know, more humane practices and more environmentally conscious practices. So, you know, it's not necessarily like you need to solve everything by not eating meat, but (laughs) it can definitely be a part of it. (laughs) Right. All right. So that's it for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, this podcast in general, we would love it if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or share your favorite episode with a friend. Invite them to the family. And also, if you do participate in this challenge or you have any questions or anything we would like to share with us, you know, April and I, we know some stuff. We're not experts. We're not claiming that. So if you have an expertise on any of the topics we've covered, um, please email us, currentclimatepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also tweet at us or view our Twitter page, even if you don't have a Twitter our username is current climate underscore. Yeah, definitely any help you guys want to give us uh, from an actually informed perspective would love it. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, are the cows happy in the U.S.? You tell me. So <laughs> thank you guys so much for joining us. Have a great week. Bye.